Hey, everybody. Welcome back to a brand new episode of Believe in the Jaguars right here in the Believe Podcast Network. My name is Phil Smith, a.k.a. Phil the Filipino. And of course, here with me is my co-host, James Johnson, the managing editor of the Jaguars Wire. Jay, we are finally getting to it. We are here. It is training camp week. The players have reported and man, we have uh, some exciting things to talk about, as well as a really awesome guest here this week that's going to give us some insight into how the Jaguar defense is going to play or at least look here in the 2021 season. So first and foremost, it's good to be here with you and excited to talk some Jaguar football. Yeah, glad to be back with you as well after a week off. Uh, kind of got, again, got some rest. We're trying to take advantage of the offseason because we know when the regular season, even the preseason gets here, it's going to be a little crazy, um, especially if the Jaguars start winning some games by some miracles. You are probably never going to be able to shut us up, um, not just on Twitter, but on this podcast. <laughs> but um, yeah, man, glad to be back. Glad to record another episode. As you said, man, we had on one of my comrades from the Wire sites, which, you know, we all do good work as a group there. And uh, was glad to have him on to, you know, talk about the Ravens defense because, you know, there's a lot of questions about that and Joe Cullen returning and this, that, and the other. So I figured that would be a fun exercise to do. We try and do different things here, bring on different guests, um, you know, just kind of mix it up and, 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 and do things like that for uh, basically the, the, the listeners and everybody and all of that. But, yeah, I'm good, man. Can't complain. Um, appreciate everybody that's been rating, commenting, subscribing as usual. Thank you all, because without y'all, there is no us. And, uh, yeah, hopefully we got another action-packed and quality episode for your ears this week as well. That's correct. So we're going to do a brief day one overview of training camp. You know, of course, not too much to talk about, but we didn't want to, you know, get in and out of this episode without talking about it. And then, of course, next week's episode will be chuck full of information as we'll have a few days under our belt over there on the practice field. And then, as I mentioned, we have Kevin Ostriker of the Ravens Wire. Uh, that interview will be coming up later on in this episode. Before we do that, though, let's get the housekeeping out of the way. Again, as Jay mentioned, thank you guys so much for supporting the show. We really, really appreciate you. If you have been listening and you haven't yet, and you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please consider heading over and leaving us a five-star review. It is one of the best ways you can help support the show. You can also find us on Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. And I believe we're on Amazon Music now as well, which is pretty cool. Um, of course, you can find us at Believe.com and at Believe Podcast as part of the awesome Believe Podcast library. You can tweet the show or follow it on Instagram at Believe in Jags Pod. You can find myself at Phil the Filipino, F-I-L-I-P-I-N-O. And Jay is over at SportsGrind underscore Dawn. Make sure you're following us on those social media accounts because we will, of course, be tweeting out a lot of Jaguars information as training camp goes on over the next couple of days and weeks. And then last but not least, we have to give a shout out to our sponsor for this week, which is Bet Online. You know, July is underway and it's a great month for sports. And if you're into sports betting, Bet Online is where you should go to win money today. Now, of course, the NBA Finals has come to an end, but the MLB is heading into the second half of the season and there's plenty of betting action to get involved in. If you're a football better, there are tons of futures and props you can wager on as well. Bet Online has all the latest odds, news, and information for all your online sports betting needs. Visit the website today or use your mobile device to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. So before the next tip-off, face-off, or pitch, head on over to Bet Online and start playing today. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. All right, Jay. So we before we get to this discussion here with Kevin, we do want to talk about just some brief observations that some people in attendance had regarding the first day of training camp, first day of school, everybody is there bright eyed and bushy tailed and, and all of that. No losses on the board. Everyone is zero and zero off season champions, as we like to say. So Jay, you know, what are some standouts or some uh, items that you took away or, or found, you know, through social media from some people that were uh, in attendance here this afternoon? Yeah. So we're giving, uh, some nuggets here that I haven't even posted on the site yet because I was in the process of writing this before the podcast. Uh, but yeah, like, like you said, not necessarily a lot to take away because it's the first day, uh, you know, as people already know, the first day the pads aren't on those eventually come on with within a day or two of practices. And then um, actually in this case, we're recording this right now on Wednesday uh, on Thursday, the uh, fans will get to attend for um that practice so that'll be nice for them to see and 
uh, get some takeaways from them as well. And then like what their eyes are seeing and how they feel about this, that and the other. But in terms of uh, today, uh, most of the takeaways I really took away from this were from like Mia O'Brien, even though it's a mixture of people that were, uh, you know, putting out tweets and this, that and the other. But um, the first takeaway was like the quarterbacks. They look pretty good, man. Um, all of them, to be honest with you. I mean, well, you know, like, again, it's the first day pads haven't gone on. You know, you could take it for what it's worth. Uh, but, you know, Beathard, uh, I think Mike DeRocco had him down for 12 of 13 passes today. So he only had one uh, incompletion today. And then when it came to Minshew and it came to uh, Trevor Lawrence, the first overall pick, who that's the main attraction. That's who everybody wants to see, right? Uh, they look good specifically, you know, she was kind of, and I'm talking about me O'Brien here. She was kind of uh, really harping on their, their uh, intermediate ball success. They were having a lot of success with intermediate throws and this, that, and the other. Um, I kind of noticed her notes about Trevor Lawrence and how easily he makes it look because he has the physical tools and he has the physical gifts that Gardner Minshew doesn't have. Whereas Gardner Minshew is a little bit more limited in terms of, you know, his physical ability, the arm strength, the height, and all of that. Uh, you can see a difference there I took from her notes as well. Uh, but, um, you know, Gardner Minshew, he had a good day as well, linking up with his guy, James O'Shaughnessy. Again, like that that should become a trend, you know, with it being training camp uh, and with it, uh, you know, being that time of the year where you're trying to find a guy that you're the most comfortable with and find your go-to guy, James O'Shaughnessy name. Look, it pops up again. Somehow, we always keep talking about this guy during training camp, but uh, he's been linking up with Gardner Minshew again. So look for that to be a theme of training camp and look that look for that to be a theme of the preseason as well. And then on Trevor Lawrence's side, you know, one of the names that I uh, had read about in Mia's notes was uh, Philip Dorsett, another guy that we've mentioned in this podcast about his connection with Trevor Lawrence. So that's going to be his guy. So, you know, you kind of see these connections. Me and Phil have talked about this in the past episode. You see these connections during training camp, uh, Cody Kessler and DJ Chark in the past. And, you know, it's just kind of these connections that you see uh, that are kind of being established that I think are worth watching because, you know, that could get some of these receivers, you know, on the team. Um, I think his name is Josh Amatraby. I'm sorry if I'm butchering his name, but if it's uh, if it's wrong, We'll correct it or we'll have y'all correct us uh, in, in the tweets or whatever. But that's another guy that Trevor Lawrence has been linking up with. Uh, you know, look for him maybe, you know, when the pads go on, if he continues that success, look for him to maybe make a push for the back end of uh, making that receiver's roster or whatever the case may be. So some interesting things going on in the first day of camp. Uh, but as Phil said, you know, when we get later down the pipeline and, and see more practices, we'll be able to give you all more takeaways uh, in, in terms of what we've seen or what has been seen on the field. And you know who else I heard had a pretty good day as well, Jay? Tim Tebow. Listen, I'm not going to – I'll be fair here and, and say that he had a pretty solid day from all reports. Caught a, I caught a nice pass in the seam, I heard, from Trevor Lawrence. So, you know what? Good for him. I mean, if he's going to replace Jaguar legend Josh Oliver, then he better, he better be pretty good. Uh, so and then also there was a nugget in there, Jay, about Urban Meyer mentioning that the team is now up to 80 percent in terms of vaccinations. Now, we're not 100 percent sure if that's two for two or just one out of two. Uh, we're not 100 percent sure, but it is much higher than they were earlier in the offseason process. So, you know, it's good to see that. Who knows how that's going to be affecting people? You saw DJ Chark and Shaquille Griffin talk about you know how they're definitely not going to tell anybody how to live their life and what to do. It's going to be their choice, but they have, you know, indicated that this is what they have decided to do as far as getting vaccinated. So, you know, we'll see uh, and keep up with how the rest of that goes, but they are currently at 80% is from, uh, from what we heard. Yeah. That's what Meyer said. Um, that's good because, you know, the Washington post, I think it was the Washington post had reported that they were lagging last month around this time or like, around the middle of the month last, uh, you know, in, uh, what is it, June? So, yeah, it was June last month. So that's good to hear. Um, you know, the league is trying to, you know, get towards, closer towards that 90% rate per team. And I think they said at least 80% of the league had at least had one shot in terms of all of the players in the league. So that's good. Um, but, yeah, you know, like like you said, with Sha Shaquille Griffin and, and DJ Chark, you know, it's just – 
a thing where, you know, the players are, you know, they're not necessarily pressuring each other to do it. But, you know, you could tell, like, the way the rules are made by the NFL that it's a competitive advantage in terms of having more people vaccinated as opposed to not having more people vaccinated. Uh, you know, you got more privileges as a player. You know, you don't have to wear a mask everywhere. You know, it's all of these little perks and, and whatnot that you have. So we'll see um, more on that down the line. I'm sure somebody's going to ask next week, like, where are the rates again so you know we'll check uh we'll check on that continuously but i mean they, they at least they're trending in the right direction and uh you know they're one of the teams that could be a better example for the league uh in terms of you know getting the rates up yeah dj chark mentioned in his presser you know it's just easier for him to get through his day being vaccinated uh, shaquille griffin talked about how he had very in-depth conversations with his parents who were both vaccinated as well so you know if anything at least it sounds like there are, you know, there are people within the building that are getting educated and making that decision. You know, we're not seeing a Buffalo Bills situation here down in Jacksonville. Of course, uh, if you guys have seen that unfold very publicly on social media, I'm just glad we're not having that down here in Jacksonville. That is definitely the last thing we need. Um, but yeah, of course, as we mentioned, you know, we just want to talk about very briefly, briefly the first day of training camp we'll have a lot more to discuss on next week's episode um but other than that jay is there anything else you want to mention before we get to this awesome conversation we had with kevin nah man that's pretty much it i'm just glad it's training camp time and it's time to start like seeing um some action on the field finally and then you know the preseason's coming next week so uh yeah man it's an exciting time to be a jaguars fan with trevor lawrence on board now contract signed we're not dealing with that like the jets are and Look, he's going to take the field, and we'll see, you know, who wins in the competition. Well, it's not a competition. I shouldn't even say that, but uh, it'll be interesting to see him at Gardner. I mean, according to Gardner Minshew, he said there's no <laughs> – that guy has to – I think you should see a doctor or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I forgot who said it, but I'm real curious uh, to how he reacts. I think it might have been Hayes from 1010 Hill. But I'm real curious how he reacts when he finds out this isn't a competition. You know, Urban Meyer came here for <laughs> <laughs> Urban Meyer came he here. He didn't for come here to coach you, buddy. I'm yeah. sorry. Uh, listen, Gardner, thanks. Thank you for the memories. Thank you for being entertaining. I would love for you to stick around and be that number two guy. But and it is what it is. You're right. It is what it, I mean, even even if he gets to start somewhere else for how long? Right. You know, so at the end of the day, like this, this might be an ongoing battle for Gardner Minshew, regardless of what team he's on. And I, I just think like if that's going to be the case, you might as well just stick around with Jacksonville. I mean, I know and I get it. You know, he's a competitor. He wants to start and this, that and the other. But, you know, the fact of the matter is he has limitations. Um, but look, that's another discussion for another time. You know, maybe we're discussing this during final cuts. Right. Uh, or maybe we're discussing this when when Gardner, if Gardner Minshew, should I say, is traded, uh, you know, maybe we can go a little bit more in depth with that. But um, yeah, man, if you will, man, let's get into the interview with Kevin and um, share with the fans some little nuggets we got on the, the Ravens defense. Absolutely, folks. So without further ado, let's introduce our discussion with Kevin Ostriker from Locked On Ravens and the Ravens Wire. All right, everybody. So here we are at our highly anticipated discussion with uh, Kevin Ostriker from the Ravens Wire. Kevin, thank you so much for joining us. We're super excited to have you uh, here, of course, with uh, you and Jay working together with the Wire sites. You know, we always want to give an opportunity to highlight the other Wire uh, writers as well. So thank you so much for being here. And, uh, you know, we'll get right into it. Of course, you know, the, the big deal here for for Jaguar fans is Joe Cullen's back. And, and man, are we happy to have him back. And and more importantly, hear him on the field, hear, hear him uh, hear him back. That's, uh, you know, definitely one of the most vocal coaches in the league. So, you know, what other assessments could you add to uh, to Joe Cullen based on his time with the Ravens? Yeah, well, you, you, you stole the vocal assessment right out of my mouth. I mean, he, he is he is an energetic guy, as I'm sure you, you both know. He he has such a passion for the game of football and. You know, he, he was interviewing even before he got this defensive coordinator position. He was interviewing at colleges, and this went back a couple seasons. So he was someone who was wanted throughout the whole football landscape. 
And I think he lands it in, in a good place with Jacksonville. He's worked with both young talent and veteran talent. Obviously, Jacksonville is definitely more on the younger side in terms of what they have, especially on the defensive line, which is where Cullen came from in Baltimore. But, I mean, the players loved him. I mean, they they adored him there. And he comes from a ton of experience. And I think when you have a defensive coordinator, one who is coming into a young team, that's the most important thing because he can take experiences from his past stops at, at the NFL level, at the college level, and work with these young guys to to really help. And then having the veterans, and I will talk about Jihad Ward in, in a second here, but he's going to be able to come into Jacksonville and make a huge impact just by the way he leads, by the way he communicates. And then in terms of what he brings you know, from a scheme perspective, if if everything goes and is the same thing that the Ravens ran in Baltimore, you're probably going to see a, a bit more man, although they do run zone as well. It, it, it's kind of a, it, it, the defense for them is all over the place in a good way, not a bad way. They use players all over the field. And that includes on the defensive line. I mean, literally, I think it was the third play of the season last year. On defense, the Ravens had Calais Campbell, former Jacksonville Jaguar, drop back into coverage. He almost picks off a pass and like his third snap on the team. So if he does that in Jacksonville, he drops guy. If he'll drop guys back into coverage, he'll move guys around the defense and do stuff like that, not just on the defensive line, but in the secondary as well. I think this will be a pretty seamless transition and there will be some growing pains, I'm sure, just because with a young defense anywhere that that's what happens. But I think that Cullen landed in a great opportunity for him and Jacksonville got a really good coach who is, is going to be able to lead them in a way that I think they need right now. Oh, when you say Calais, when you mention Calais Campbell's name too, it hurts my heart. Just, <laughs> we we my love heart. him here. <laughs> you know, he, he's such a veteran presence. I know you guys all know this already, but he is someone who I think landed in the right spot in Baltimore. And obviously Agreed. Yannick Ngakwe came in there, didn't really work out the way people expected him to. But yeah, Clayus Campbell's a good one that, that is in Baltimore at the moment right now. You just, you know, and, and that's consistent wherever he goes. I'll take any moment to talk about Clayus Campbell <laughs> just because of how great a person he is. So yeah, Jay, I know you had something to add on. Yeah, yeah. With, it's, it's funny that Kevin mentioned the experience because Cullen was, before his first stop in Jacksonville, he was a defensive line coach for, uh, some other teams like the Lions, if I can recall. So, like, the experience has been there. He's been a guy that's been doing this for a minute. And I never thought of it like that in terms of, like, how long he's been doing it until Kevin, like, mentioned it. I was like, yeah, Cullen has really been, uh, you know, mingling in the NFL and other places since. And it's funny, he also mentioned that because Urban Meyer was saying that, you know, basically what sent him to Cullen is they had a bunch of mutual friends. And if I can recall, there was once a story that Cullen – may have uh, interviewed with Meyer or tried to have interviewed with Meyer during his days in college at either UF or Ohio State, uh, but they could never link up with each other. Long story short, uh, they could never link up with each other. And then finally, you know, when Meyer made this, uh, you know, jump to the NFL, he reached out to Cullen because of all the mutual friends and this, that, and the other, and the rest is history. So, I mean, like, if Urban Meyer knows you, you know, like, you know, we got our gripes about Urban Meyer, but if Urban Meyer knows you and had interest in you at a college level, I think that kind of speaks volumes about Cullen as well, which is something that Kevin just spoke on. So with the next question, I'm going to ask about somebody that you just mentioned, Jihad Ward. Uh, he's been a social media gem for us, which we kind of already discussed beforehand. Uh, just presenting us with all kind of funny takes and this, that, and the other. Uh, just like Cullen, one of the more vocal people when it comes to the Jaguars organization so far, and he's only been here for a few months, and we're loving it. But uh, could you discuss him a little bit more and, uh, you know, what he brings on the field um, as well as, you know, we already know what he clearly brings to social media and, you know, what he brings in terms of uh, – a, a presence, a veteran presence for the the players because they all they obviously respect him. But uh, some of the things that you saw from him on the field uh, that you think he could help the Jaguars with uh, since uh, signing with them. Yeah, definitely. Uh, be, being a six year veteran for Ward, I know that's one of the older players right now uh, on Jacksonville's defense outside of a few guys. And what you have in Jihad Ward, at least what I what I liked what he did in Baltimore. I, I think I liked most of what he did there. I mean. A, a bit inconsistent, but he's someone who can play both on the inside and on the outside. So you can put him at the edge position. You can have him rush from there, but you can also move him inside if you need to have him play some defensive end. You know, maybe you can put him at defensive tackle as well because he has 
that size right now, you know, 6'5", 287 pounds. But for that size, he's, he's an athlete. And the Ravens love those athlete type players where they can drop back into coverage or move around and do a bunch of things for them so that they can kind of throw offenses off kilter. And, you know, you're expecting Jihad Ward to line up here 80% of the time, but really he's lining up at the edge and on 50% of plays. Then he's lining up at defensive end on 30% of plays. So something like that. Ward in Baltimore had four sacks. He played in 21 games for the team, but his impact, and this goes for most players on the Ravens defense, it, it goes far beyond the stat sheet as to what Ward brought to them. He was a disruptor for sure. And honestly, one of the main reasons I believe he left, and it might've been a few others as well. I'm sure, you know, Jacksonville was a place that he wanted to be, but he didn't really get a fair shake towards the end of the season in Baltimore. He was a game day inactive for a lot of the games towards the back half of the season, especially after the Ravens acquired Yannick Ngakwe from the Vikings. And honestly, in my opinion, I think he should have been active over Jalen Ferguson because he showed me more. It seemed like he was making plays. You know, for example, he was active for the Tennessee Titans game in the playoffs and he rushes Ryan Tannehill and Tannehill steps out of the pocket, runs to, I think it was his right. Ward, Tannehill's trying to shake him and Ward ends up sticking with him. And Tannehill's, you know, he's no Lamar Jackson, but, you know, he ends up sticking with him, keeps his hands in the air. Tannehill throws the ball, Ward bats it back into Tannehill's arms, and, you know, Tannehill has to fall to the ground. So it's the, it's the high motor, it's the effort plays that I liked out of him as well. He's not going to quit on a play. He's very passionate. And on the field, he can do a lot of different things in a lot of different roles, which I that was one of my favorite things about him. Because he's, he's not, you know, a lot of people call people one-trick ponies because they can only do one thing well. Ward can do a lot of people, a lot of different things well. He can stack on blockers. He can also shoot through gaps out of the edge, or if he wants to put a move inside, he can do that as well. And he can also play the run really well. He's, he's not just a pass rusher. You know, he does play the run very well. So a versatile piece that, I, I mean, I think Jacksonville can use in a really good way. And Cullen has been there with him, so he, he knows him. And he knows how to play to his strengths, play to his weaknesses. So for me, Ward was a really nice, you know, low risk, high reward signing for Jacksonville that I think is going to pay off. Yeah. And you talk about the high motor. I mean, that's something, of course, you want to see, you know, with our our young D lineman that you, you know, you kind of alluded to there. Of course, what impact is he going to have on Josh Allen, Caleb on Chase on? And, you know, one thing that we're really seeing here, Kevin, especially with these new guys, we talk about Jihad Ward here, but we're also going to talk uh, about Shaq Griffin here in just a moment. But guys that are just really bringing an energy and a positivity to the team from a team that just went one in 15, right? Like that is huge, you know, and, and the fact that he is, you know, spoken so highly on and has already had this presence in just a very short amount of time is, is, is really, really great. Go ahead, Jay. And yeah. Like one of the things that stood out to me that you said there that I wrote in my notes here was his uh, ability against the run and the Jaguars, you know, me and Phil can attest to this. They need that after their run, yeah. especially. Yeah. <laughs> Man, that last year's run with uh, Todd Wash, they were one of the league's worst. I think they were like uh, 28th, somewhere in that range against the run. So that helps. And this this all is starting to make sense. The motor that you you spoke of, uh, the, uh, the run support. Uh, Joe Cullen strikes me as a guy that, you know, based off his last time in Jacksonville, he liked high energy, high motor guys. Uh, you know, your your Austin Lanes of the world and, you know, guys like that that just gave just a bunch of uh, effort during plays and just was relentless and didn't really give up on plays, as you mentioned. So, I mean, like, it, it it's a perfect fit. Cullen put in a word for him, according to Ward. Uh, when he first met the Jaguars media, he was saying that Cullen is his guy and he, he was going to basically uh, – he was cool with following him if that was going to be the case because he had such a good relationship with him in the past and uh, the rest is history. And I'm glad to have him. And I hope, like you said, man, he could really contribute in some of these ways that you've mentioned, Kevin. Well, let's get into the next one here. So one thing that has been very apparent in the last few weeks, you know, Jay and I have been looking into, of course, what Baltimore has been doing, what Joe Cullen has been doing. <clears throat> and of course, what, uh, you know, Don Martindale has, has been doing, and it's a lot of blitzing. And of course, in, in, in the league, it can be risky, but it seems like it's been pretty effective for the Ravens, of course, with uh, with their defense over there. Could you explain how the fans have generally felt about this defense and how it's been run? Because the previous regime here in Jacksonville, everybody pretty much have collectively 
been very, very unsatisfied with how the defense has been run with a very zone heavy guy uh, for the most part. So what is the you know, kind of the overall feeling amongst the fan base and about how the defense is run over there in Baltimore? Yeah, Phil, for the most part, I think I think it's pretty positive how the scheme is is kind of looked at in Baltimore from an outside perspective. And I mean, even on, even on the inside, I mean, the guys I think love the scheme that they run. You mentioned very blitz heavy. It's, it's a very blitz heavy scheme. Baltimore led the league in blitz percentage last season. They also led it in 2019, but in 2020, they blitzed on 44.1% of their plays. And the, the one thing I will say is the Ravens with their elite secondary, because it is one of the best, in my opinion, in the NFL, what you have there is you don't have to worry as much about getting pressure on the quarterback, but at the same time, these guys can't cover for four, five, six seconds. Someone's going to get open somewhere or something's going to bust somewhere if the quarterback has all that time to throw. And what we've seen over these last couple of seasons, and whether this is a talent thing, whether this is a scheme thing, is the Ravens haven't been able to generate pressure with four guys when they're not blitzing. And... Part of that, I think, it comes down to the scheme. Part of it comes down to the talent. They, they haven't had this, you know, number one, huge, like TJ Watt, Miles Garrett type pass rusher in, in a long time. I mean, Zadarius Smith didn't really blossom fully until he got to Green Bay. He was kind of coming into that player, but he left. And then he's he's now the the Packers star on that defensive line. So in terms of actual hurry percentage, and how often the quarterback got hurried per dropback. It was 9.1%. To put that in perspective, New England led the league last year with 14.3%. They're, they're a pressure team. They're not necessarily a sack team. So they get to the quarterback, but they don't necessarily bring the quarterback down. And one, one, one example I can give you is week three last year against Patrick Mahomes in that Kansas City offense. Baltimore cannot generate any pressure without blitzing. But Patrick Mahomes eats apart blitzes. And he torched the Ravens defense for most of the game. They, they kind of settled down in the second. It was a rough second quarter. But if, if they can't figure that out, you know, it, it's going to be potentially a rough year for the Ravens in some aspects. So the secondary in general, they also play all over the field. Guys, again, move all around. You look at how safeties are used. You look at how the corners are used. You have Marlon Humphrey. You can play both outside and inside. You can bring Chuck Clark, the strong safety, down into the dime, and you can play him. You can move Deshaun Elliott back over to strong safety. Chris Board, who's a linebacker, can play some safety as well. There are corners like rookie Brandon Stevens, who is going to probably be able to play some corner and safety as well. So the main thing I'm trying to get at is the versatility of these players, and Jacksonville has these guys as well who can move all around the field and play in different areas and have different skill sets to help teams in different ways. And that's, I think, one of the things that makes Baltimore's defense so, so good. But also, it's the exotic blitz packages. Don Martindale brings eight up to the line. He brings nine up to the line. Then he drops six of them back into coverage, and, and they're only rushing three. The next play, he'll rush all of them. So that really throws off younger quarterbacks, rookies, second year, third year guys, because just the processing time that guys have to have to see all these bodies at the line. And then it, it, it's a fast game. You know, the, the speed of the game from college to the NFL is different. So to be able to have players who can move around the field, can blitz from the edge, can blitz up the middle, can get pressure that way, it's good. But the one thing I will say is sometimes that they do struggle to generate pressure without blitzing, but we'll see how it works out this year in 2021 form yeah and generating that pressure is going to be so key as we see we saw josh allen have a little bit of a sophomore slump without a guy like Yannick Ngakwe or calais campbell on the opposite side of him so it's going to be very interesting to see how they adapt and you know it's interesting you also mentioned just speed and playmakers where you know jay we've seen urban meyer put an emphasis on speed on on the offensive side but it's interesting to see where where that will come into play on the defensive side as well. You mentioned a lot of the DBs, and I know, Jay, that's where our next question. And, yeah, before I get to that, yeah, the versatility that he mentioned, that's something me and you have discussed, Phil, on the podcast is movable chess pieces. People were wondering why in God's name would the Jacksonville Jaguars draft Tyson Campbell 33rd overall? Well, there's your answer. Kevin just answered it. Because Tyson Campbell, as Urban Meyer said, 
can play safety, can play nickel, can play cornerback. At least they believe. So he hasn't played safety since high school, but they believe he's obviously a movable chess piece. So, you know, that kind of explains all of that. That explains, you know, the intrigue with Josh Allen, who, uh, you know, can can do some things on the outside from from different uh, points or whatever the case may be. And that explains just a lot of these guys in this defense uh, who could who can move around and do this, that, and the other, especially in the secondary. Man, you have specifically said that as well. So uh, speaking and of the secondary. Remember, Jay, remember who Tyson Campbell's player cop was? It was Marlon Humphrey. There so, you go. I mean, that's definitely not an accident. <laughs> right, right. It's definitely not an accident. So it's all starting to make sense from what Kevin was saying. And continuing on the secondary, my question is on Shaquille, uh, Shaquille, excuse me, I'm almost calling him Shaquem Griffin, his brother. Shaquille Griffin, uh, who was the biggest signing we had, cornerback from Seattle. Uh, they paid him a lot of money to come here to Jacksonville. But my concern has been, and me and Phil have talked about this, is uh, we all know Seattle, at least for the most part of his career there, was a heavy zone team. Have uh, you kind of answered this? Um, but still, nonetheless, like, is he a guy that you think, you know, that's been from a heavy zone scheme that's coming from that Seattle Seahawks tree? Is he a guy that you think, like, you see as a fit for, like, the Baltimore Ravens way, if you will? Yeah, I I could see, you know, if we're talking about what Don Martindale's done, and obviously I think Joe Cullen's going to add his own wrinkles into his scheme that he's going to put in Jacksonville. But I think that a guy like Griffin could come in and play significant, meaningful snaps and play them well. In, in the Ravens defense. I did kind of mention it earlier in the show. The, the Ravens are a man team more than they are a zone team, but they play both. And it, it goes back to just switching up looks. But for a player who comes from a heavy, whether it's man or zone, and are trying to transition into a bit of a different scheme, an example of that that was recent for the Ravens was Marcus Peters, who saw success in Kansas City and then went to the Rams and was in a defense that did not fit him whatsoever and struggled. People were calling him washed, burnt toast. I mean, whatever, whatever you want to say, he was getting called that he comes to Baltimore. The scheme of Baltimore fits him a lot better because he's able to use his playmaking ability and his high football IQ to read quarterbacks and not necessarily be tasked with staying in one area or stay on one guy. He's able to lurk around Rome and make big plays. Now, Griffin, I don't think, has the ball skills that Marcus Peters has at this point, but he is still someone who can get up and stay on receivers vertically. I mean, he has he has good foot speed. I mean, when I was when I was scouting Griffin, because I, I looked into a bunch of secondary players, I saw that he is able to keep up with a lot of different receivers. So him coming from Seattle, and I mean he look, he was a third round pick for a reason. I mean, he has a lot of skills, and I think he's not limited to one defensive scheme it might be there might be an adjustment period though i'm not saying it's, it's all going to be you know sunshine and rainbows but i think by the end of the year when you're looking back on it and saying what did griffin provide for us i think the impact will be positive and there might be a, a couple surprise jacksonville fans in terms of people who were a bit nervous about switching from that heavy zone scheme and just what he did actually that season for the jacksonville jaguars yeah, you hit the nail on the head with uh, – that's exactly what I was – like, those are the perfect words to put a, a adjustment period. Because, I mean, like, for the most part, you know, like, a lot of these players are adaptable. And, you know, if not, the coaches are adaptable. But, yeah, that's more along the lines of what I was getting at. Would it be – did you feel like it will be an adjustment period? And it, it seems like, you know, you kind of agree with that. Um, but in the end, I think, like you said, it will probably pay off. I know it's definitely going to pay off in terms of the locker room because he's been a fantastic leader, although it's only been a few months. But, um, you know, Urban Meyer loves the guy to death. He spoke on him today in the press conference, literally in the first press conference that they had for training camp. And, I mean, like, you know, there's that connection because, you know, he's a Florida guy and Urban Meyer likes Florida guys, and that's how they kind of uh, found out about each other or whatever the case may be through Lewis Murphy. Uh, but, yeah, he's a guy that we're definitely going to be watching uh, not just because he got paid a lot, but, like, you can't help but root for the guy when you get to know him as a person because, uh, yeah, he's just been a fantastic person. And the, the people in Seattle have attested to that as well. Yeah, really excited to see Shaquille Griffin. I, he's, if he's not already, Jay, I mean, he's definitely going to be a fan favorite throughout the year and throughout his, throughout his time here in Jacksonville. We want to stick in this secondary here. Uh, for one of our last few questions, Kevin, and it's, you know, we're talking about our safeties because it's looking like we could very well have two new starting safeties in the backfield between Rayshon Jenkins, 
who's a guy that probably be, belongs close a little bit closer to the line of scrimmage and then possibly a rookie in Andre Cisco, who is more of a ball hawk, really excited about him. Hopefully, you know, he's healthy and, and, and looks solid. Could you discuss what the safety play looks like in the Baltimore scheme? Because when you look at, you know, Baltimore's defense, of course, we're all, we're definitely looking at a guy like Deshaun Elliott and the success he's had. Hook him Hormons, by the way. So what do you think about, you know, the safety play over there in Baltimore? Yeah, the safeties are key uh, when looking at what the Ravens do on defense. I mean, for Chuck Clark and Deshaun Elliott, this was a tandem that I think some people were imagining, but maybe not this soon, is Earl Thomas kind of had his departure in, in the way it happened. And that that kind of left a hole, a, a huge hole in the Ravens secondary. Deshaun Elliott was primarily a strong safety. You know, he played primarily strong safety in college. The Ravens ended up moving him over to free safety. And what you have is, you know, Chuck Clark, who you mentioned with Rayshon Jenkins, you want Chuck Clark a little closer to the line isn't this elite ball hawk or anything, but he has the physicality to play dime linebacker and be up at the line. He also is the communicator of the Baltimore defense. He has the green dot and he has an extremely high football IQ. So, you know, sometimes the linebackers have it. And I mean, technically, look, Clark plays some linebacker himself, but Elliot himself is more of that ball hawk, although he did have no interceptions. This was the adjustment period, at least last year was the adjustment period for him learning a new position, only having about two weeks of training camp to get ready and, and get acclimated, not having an in-person training camp for the most part, no preseason. I think this year for a guy like Andre Cisco, who has had, you know, his fair share of injuries and as a guy who is coming back, looking to make an impact early. And look, I love Andre Cisco coming out, coming out of uh, Syracuse. I think that he, he would be a fit on the Ravens defense. And so now with Joe Cullen and Jacksonville, he's going to be a perfect fit for what Jacksonville does because to me the combo of having the ball hawk and the physical player is, is the free and strong safeties that's the perfect tandem to have you don't want to kind of overlap skill sets and then you're lacking you know playmaking ability or you're lacking physicality at the second level so to have the player who you can stick in the in whether it is dime linebacker or just close to the line in general the Ravens themselves when they put Chuck Clark up at the line and th this will sometimes show with their safety depth, but they, they don't have a ton of it right now outside of those two, but they can move Deshaun Elliott over to strong safety, or what they do is they put that linebacker I talked about and Chris Board back at safety, or they can switch it up and just take, you know, Deshaun Elliott off the field altogether. They can put in more corners. They, they, they do everything under the sun. I mean, I could talk for hours about, you know, every single look they give, but for me, the safety play is really important because they are the prime communicators in what Baltimore does on defense. Now, obviously, is Rayshon Jenkins going to be the communicator of that defense? Is it going to be somebody else? You know, things might differ there. But at the end of the day, having the ball hawk and physical tandem is what I prefer out of a safety duo. And more guys are going to be playing. It's not just going to be those two for 100% of the snaps. But for me, I think that Cisco and Jenkins have the potential to be a good safety duo. But again, you know, it, it's the adjustment period of adjusting to a new scheme, figuring out where they fit. And over the season, you know, over the course of the season, look, I don't think this is going to be a one in 15 year for Jacksonville. I think they've improved their roster too much to do that again. So with the safeties in particular, it'll be a good year for them. In my opinion, I think Cisco in particular might take the league by storm a little bit and kind of prove why he should have gone a bit earlier. Yeah, and I'll say this too with uh, something that you kind of alluded to there with Rayshon Jenkins. I definitely could see him uh, also being the mouthpiece for this defense as well, uh, just based off how Ur Urban Meyer has kind of spoke on him. And it, just his personality too, he's kind of a vocal dude. Like he's one of the dudes the media flocks to with Griffin as well. Uh, so I can yeah, see they're that. they're like a tandem. Him and, him and Chad Griffin are like a – they're a duo. So between – him and then Jod Ward, you know, the three of them, man. <laughs> right. Yeah, they have voices now. You know what I'm saying? I mean, not, not that they didn't have that before. They had Jalen Ramsey, for crying out loud, at one point in time. Who? But, right, right. Who was that guy? <laughs> don't know that guy. Um, But, um, yeah, on the one win thing, you said I don't think so either. Me and Phil have talked about this, too. Last year, they weren't really a one-win team either. And they kind of lucked into being a one-win team if – uh, that that's even a thing, but they lucked into being a one win team. They had to put some guys on IR at the end of the season on defense. That didn't help them. Uh, well, actually, it did help them because they got Trevor Lawrence. So in the end, it all worked out. Uh, but yeah, I mean, those were the two things. 
uh, that I wanted to add. Oh, yeah, as well as what you said about the safeties in this day and age. I've This is one of the things I've kind of talked to Phil about and just kind of explained on film is you never want two safeties back there that are too similar. And it was a lot of that, like, earlier in Todd Wash's days, kind of, uh, when he was here. Like, both of the safeties were kind of the same. And, uh, yeah, you kind of do want, like, a guy that can – Come up to the line of scrimmage, kind of play like that down position, as you kind of said they do with Baltimore or whatever the case may be. Uh, and, and you also want that guy that has range is how I would put it, you know, which is what they were trying to do uh, with the former Seahawk, um, Earl Thomas, rangy guy. That was, that was the plan with him. That's why they got Andre Cisco here in Jacksonville. So it makes a lot of sense uh, based off of what you just said. All right, so, Kevin, I'll uh, move into one last question before we let you go. And we want to know about any potential bubble players on this roster uh, or on the Ravens roster that you all might let go because the Jaguars have the number one waiver priority and we're looking to take advantage of it uh, before we don't have it anymore because we're probably going to beat the Texans week one uh, based off of Vegas and how we feel about it and looking at that team unless Deshaun Watson just magically has a change in mind and can get rid of all of the issues he has in court going on. But that being said, uh, who are some guys that are bubble players on this Baltimore Ravens defense that you think might not make the team or they might try and like stash on a practice squad or something? Yeah, there there are a few. <laughs> this team is so deep this year to the point where they're going to have to make really tough decisions at a few key positions. And, you know, for Jacksonville, who has a number one waiver priority, you, you do want to take advantage of it. I think that for example, at the quarterback position, the Ravens have carried three quarterbacks for a couple seasons now. And Lamar Jackson has kind of graduated from, you know, having that veteran mentor guy like Robert Griffin III or Joe Flacco, where now it's Tyler Huntley and Trace McSorley, two guys who fit their system very well, two very talented football players. But if the Ravens have to keep an extra wide receiver or an extra corner or an extra offensive lineman, I think one of the first positions they'll look to get rid of is the I mean, maybe a third quarterback because Lamar Jackson, outside of his COVID, his two positive COVID tests, has been, you know, on the field for a majority of the games and the and the games he's missed have been, he just hasn't played because the Ravens have been too good and they set him for the playoffs. So if Huntley or McSorley gets released or, you know, Baltimore starts to look for a trade partner and, and for Jacksonville or any NFL team, everything is so fluid right now because injuries are going to happen throughout training camp in the preseason. So what is a need now might not be a need later and what, not what is not a need now might be a need later so maybe a quarterback for jacksonville because those two i think are very talented and you know they're those two won't be starting anytime soon unless an injury happens to trevor lawrence but just as depth at the wide receiver position miles boykin and james Prochet are likely fighting for one spot and boykin is a former third round pick in 2019 great blocker but has not lived up to his expectations as a receiver just hasn't been on the same page as lamar jackson it seems like james Prochet. Rookie out of SMU, six-round pick in 2020. Great slot receiver. Some of the best hands in college football over the course of his career there. But if the Ravens value Boykins blocking, they could let him go and maybe try to stash him on IR or the practice squad. And I don't think they'd get away with stashing him on the practice squad. I think some team would snatch him up really quickly. At tight end, we made a trade with the Jacksonville Jaguars. The Ravens did in Josh Oliver. And a move, my guy, that's right. My guy. A, a move that a lot of people at the time were like, oh man, uh, who is who is this guy? I don't know who this is, but his flash during training camp. So if he earns a spot on this roster, first of all, Jacksonville, Jacksonville gets a, a seventh round pick out of it. But that means that other guys are going to get cut, including veteran Eric Tomlinson, potentially Jacob Breland and Eli Wolf, two young guys, Tony Poyan, an undrafted guy. On the offensive line, it seems like the Ravens aren't going to be able to keep all those guys either. So Ben Powers, who started some meaningful games for them at guard last year, could be an option. In the secondary cornerbacks, the Ravens are, I will tell you right now, the Ravens are not going to be able to keep all the talented cornerbacks they have. Guys like Devontae Harris, Khalil Dorsey, Chris Westry, Iman Marshall are all options for them. Both, you know, young and veteran guys in that group. It's safety. It's kind of the same thing as now Jawari or an undrafted guy who the Ravens protected a lot of the time last season in those new protecting rules for the practice squad. Does he not make the roster? So look, there, there are a bunch of bubble guys who Jacksonville could snatch up if the Ravens have to let them go due to just pure roster constraints. But I think that this that, that period for Baltimore alone is a, is a big period. But for Jacksonville having that number one waiver priority, they can snatch up a couple of key contributors. Not I mean, not just for 
2021, but for multiple years, who can make an impact for them for a long time. You hear that, Jay? <laughs> Flashed in training camp, my boy Josh <laughs> Oliver. I'll give you a little. I'll give you a little background here, Kevin. Uh, so last year, before the season started, we did a uh, 2020 season hot takes. So me, Jay, and then a, a friend of ours came on as well. And my hot take, because I went, I went all out. I said Josh Oliver was going to lead the team in touchdown catches, and then he didn't play a snap. He got hurt in training camp and never played. <laughs> never suited up for the Jaguars again. So I am. I am the official head of the Josh Oliver fan club. So I will be rooting for that guy no matter where he ends up. So I'm glad to hear that he is, uh, he's flashed in, uh, in training camp and, and, and hopefully impressing. I'd hope, I just hope he can stay healthy, man. He just cannot get on the field here. So that, that was, that was the thing. Jay, did you have anything to add on uh, to, to any of those names that Kevin listed before we uh, let him get out of here? Nah, man, I, I just wanted to add that like he went to a tight end factory. That's for sure. Uh, based off of the Ravens' history. So, like, dude, it wouldn't surprise me if, like, he ends up, like, being one of their best players in, like, a year or two, to be honest with you. Then we got to deal with that whole stigma of, oh, every time somebody leaves the Jaguars, they just blow up and become good and this, that, and other. Look, y'all, it happens to More everybody. More importantly, Phil was right. Right. <laughs> yeah, happens, yeah. So. <laughs> if you say so, Phil. But <laughs> anyway, yeah, Kevin, man, we appreciate you coming on, man, and doing, you know, wire to wire chat. We got to do more of these. And uh yeah, hopefully the next time we talk, it'll be more so a miracle on our part. But hopefully the next time we'll talk, it'll be because we made the playoffs and had to play the Ravens because we don't play them in the regular season. But uh, that being said, man, we uh, enjoyed you coming on. And if you would, man, just go ahead, plug all your handles and all your information and put all of that out there and, and let people know where they can find you. Yeah, for sure. This was, this was a blast, guys. I had a really fun time. And uh, for, my, for my handles, I am on Twitter at kostriker 34 uh, I host and produce the show Locked on Ravens uh, five days a week. It's pure Ravens talk. So if you're you know, if you want Ravens content one day, you know, you can go over there and you can find my work. Uh, our Twitter handle is at Locked on Ravens. You can also find it on any podcast provider. And also, I do write for the Ravens Wire, so part of the Wire Networks. And you can find my work over there as well. And the Twitter handle is at the Ravens Wire. So, yeah, thanks again, guys. And hopefully, yes, we will be talking. I mean, the playoffs, it'd be, it'd be one heck of a matchup, let me tell you that. But hopefully, we'll be talking again soon. 100%. Jay and I are always kind of, you know, rooting for the Ravens from afar, especially Lamar Jackson, because we very heavily campaigned for him to be here. And then, of course, it did not happen. But Kevin, again, thank you so much for your time. You stay safe. And yeah, like you said, we will speak to you soon. Absolutely. Thanks so much, guys. All right, everyone. Well, there you have it. Kevin Ostriker from the Ravens Wire and Locked on Ravens. Kevin, if you're listening to this, I'm so sorry. I think I pronounced your last name like three, four different time ways. I'm so sorry. But thanks for Kevin. Uh, thanks to Kevin for joining us on this week's episode. A lot of great insight here, Jay. And honestly, with all the optimism he talked about as far as how the Ravens defense is run and how the fan base reacts to it, man, that just makes me even more excited than I already was for Joe Cullen being here. Absolutely, man. I think it was Jamal St. Cyr that said this on his Twitter account from uh, WJXT, but he was saying Joe Cullen will never be mic'd up. <laughs> Ever. No, he will not. <laughs> we will which, not see that. I mean, which, you know, that's fine, because, like, if we get to go to some practices, you know, we'll get to hear it with our own ears or whatever the case may be. We already heard an earful of it back when he was here during the the Jack Del Rio era. So glad to have him back. And like you said, yeah, excited to see, uh, you know, the concepts that he brings over uh, from the Ravens and, you know, the versatility they have. Because again, man, like as we said in the podcast, defensively, man, like it, this team just hasn't been watchable since 2017. And it's just like, it seemed like it started in that Patriots game, right? The NFC title, uh, the AFC title game. And it started there when Todd Watch got carved up by the Patriots and it never got better after that. Like it just, that was the beginning of the end for the Jacksonville Jaguars. So glad to be moving on from that scheme. Um, and, um, you know, Todd Watch is now with the, the Lions, I think, on the defensive line or something. So uh, I guess good luck with that. I mean, no no disrespect though. Actually, <laughs> when I think about it, that Lions staff that they put together, that Dan Campbell put together is actually pretty good. 
Um, but we'll see what Todd Wash can do. I mean, that's what he's better suited for anyway. It's like the Jaguars had the most success when he was a defensive line coach anyway. So, I mean, he might, you know, have some success there. We'll see. But uh, that's neither here or neither there. Yes, it depends on if he can, you know, how well he can bite kneecaps or ankles or whatever it is that they want to do up there. I don't know, man. I, I, I you he know, lost you, nothing. right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's when he. That's when he lost me. I was like, okay, that's uh, that's quite enough. <laughs> but yeah, again, thanks so much to you, Kevin for uh, for joining us. But Jay, that's it for for this week's episode. Is there anything else you want to uh, let people know before we get out of here for the week? And and pretty much uh, from this point going forward, guys, we will we probably won't be taking uh, any more weekly breaks now that training camp has started. So anything else you want to let our listeners know before we get out of here? Uh, yeah, well, first and foremost, I want to say I know why the bite kneecaps kind of hit a chord with you because as a shorter person, that's the kind of tactic <laughs> you resort to when you that's fight. That's my move, man. Like, yeah, like, dude, like, pray that we never get into a bar fight because, like, Phil's going to be down there biting kneecaps and <laughs> trying that's to help man, as right, best yeah, as he I'm, can. I'm just, I'm just taking out people. Um, <laughs> Triple H, uh, Triple H style, <laughs> going for the lower leg, going for that knee. <laughs> got to do what you got to do, right? Chop uh, block, that's what they're. Yeah, what chop for. blocks. Yeah, but um, yeah, man. I like I said, man, or like we've already said, you know, we're 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 here now. It's it's time, man. There's not going to be any more breaks. Uh, probably, you know, I mean, you you never know. Some stuff pop up, uh, may pop up or whatever the case may be. But we plan on being here every week now. And uh, covering all of this. So, you know, I have some training camp takeaways on a day to day basis, you know, just based off of what people are seeing. And, uh, you know, of course, we'll be covering how Trevor Lawrence do uh, does, because, of course, that's the big story. We want to see our quarterback develop. How does he progress throughout the preseason? Um, how does he look during the preseason games? This, that and the other. Uh, we'll be locked in and honed in on that, checking on, um, you know, the number one overall pick and then. After that, man, it's, it's time to get to the action in the off season, or should I say the uh, the regular season. So, yeah, can't wait, man. A lot of good content coming up. Absolutely. We have some more guests that are going to be coming onto the show a little bit closer to the season. And as Jay mentioned, you know, we're so close to the preseason. We're going to see actual football. And all those games are going to be available on NFL Network as well for uh, for Jaguar fans, which is pretty neat. So, yeah, make sure you guys stay tuned. Of course, you can find the show anywhere you are listening to podcasts, which of course includes Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts, please consider leaving us a five-star review. We would really, really appreciate it. And thank you so much to all of you that have done that so far. Again, you can find us at Believe.com and, and at Believe Podcast as part of the awesome Believe Podcast Library. Follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at Believe in Jags Pod. You can find me at Phil the Filipino, F-I-L-I-P-I-N-O. And Jay is over at SportsGrind underscore Don. And of course, make sure you keep up with the JaguarsWire.com for all of your up-to-date Jacksonville Jaguar news. This has been another episode of Believe in the Jaguars right here on the Believe Podcast Network. Don't forget to believe in the Jags, but more importantly, believe in yourselves. We will see you next time, folks. <laughs>